Um, the book of James, chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scriptures say in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? <clears throat> Last week, one of the things I mentioned was a, a short excerpt from George Mueller where he talked about uh, people asking him, you know, how he got, how he was able to discern the will of God, because God used him in a lot of ways, and a lot of things were done through him. And if you remember, his answer was, uh, if I eliminate my own will, if I put my own will aside, I eliminate 95% of the problem. And so today, I'm going to focus on that. I thought, as I was talking about that last week, I thought about this passage here. And first he talks about fighting and arguing. And, and he says, where does it come from? He says, it comes from inside. He says, from our, our sensual desires. That means desires of our senses. And we fight, and people desire, and they fight with one another over that. In all kinds of relationships, there's this fighting and arguing and contention and strife going on. And he points to what it is. It's from, you know, the carnal, the carnal nature that's inside, you know, and the, 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 the desires of our human nature and our senses. And then in verse 2, it says you covet, and he says you murder. He said, I never murdered anybody, but Jesus said, if you hate someone in your heart, you've already murdered them. So we, we got to look at this a little more carefully. He said, you're covetous. And he says, you fight and you argue and you strive and you're contentious. But then he says, you don't receive because you don't ask. A lot of people don't pray. They don't pray to the Father through Jesus, his Son. Why? Because they don't believe, either they don't believe the message but they don't believe all the message. They don't believe that anything's going to, there's not going to do any good to pray. They've lost their way. And they have a prayerless spirit. And that's very easy to fall into, a prayerless spirit. And then he says, you ask and you don't receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it here it says on your pleasures, but others say on your sensual desires, the things that we want. In other words, our will. And so we have to be understanding there's a difference between our will and God's will. And 
A lot of times we ask amiss because we're not asking according to the will of God. Now some of that's very plain to see because we see the will of God in the, in the Word of God, in His Word. We see it. And we ask things that are contrary to that. That's number one. But number two, every detail in life is not spelled out in the Word of God. But we don't take the time to discern the will of God, like George Mueller was saying. We're motivated by our own will and our own desires. What we want, in other words, it's all about us. And yet in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 it says, He died for all, that those who live should not live for themselves, but for Him who died and rose again for them. And so you see, when we're, not, we're living for Christ instead of living for ourselves, it gives us a whole new perspective. We look at life completely differently. We also pray differently. We ask according to the will of God. So, a couple things. It says later on in verse 10 in this chapter, it says, Humble yourself. In the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. Another place it says, "Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and He will exalt you in due time." When we humble ourselves before His Word, what He says, you see, we're putting our own self, our own pride, our own ego, our own will, our own desires away, and seeking His will. Now. Some of our desires may be within His will, and that's what we have to find out. But in the book of James, he says two things. Number one, we don't receive because we don't ask. Or number two, we ask and don't receive because we ask amiss. And he says this right after all the fighting and arguing speech. And all the stuff about contention and strife. With others and within our own soul. Within our own spirit, there's all this contention, all this commotion, all this stirring going on inside. It says, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God is a jealous God. The Old Testament says, I, the Lord, am a jealous God. I will have no other gods besides me. And so to humble ourselves before the will of God, instead of trying to share the and be on the throne ourselves. Um, we'll look in uh, Romans chapter 8 next, verses 24 to 28. Romans 8, 24 to 28. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. 
Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Well, this gives us a little insight into something here, and it gives us hope and help. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will be our helper, our counselor, our guide, and our teacher, and our comforter. And you see that we need guidance in prayer because we already read that sometimes we ask with wrong motives, we ask amiss, our, our, our vision isn't clear, it's not right, it's not according to the will of God. And so in Christ we have a helper. And that helper is the Holy Spirit who's given to us who believe the message of the gospel and, and commit to him. It says that the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We don't always know how to pray as we should. That's what we are here in the book of James. Sometimes we ask with the wrong viewpoint, the wrong motives, the wrong desires, all this thing's wrong, not according to the will of God. But it says, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us. In other words, he intercedes, he prays with and for us. And it says at the end of verse 27, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. You see, the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, Holy Spirit knows the will of God the Father. And He joins us in prayer. He's a prayer partner to us and prays to the Father our, prayer, our prayers, but as a helper according to the will of the Father. Because we don't always know what the will of God is in every situation, every detail in life. But as we are praying, we have a helper, we have a prayer partner. So even if we ask amiss, that he will help us, and he will guide us. We say, oh, you know, Lord, you know, and I'm praying for this and that, but the Holy Spirit is also praying and offering these prayers, but according to the will of the Father, our prayer partner. Because he knows the will of God. Unlike us, we don't. sometimes we do know the will of God. It's clearly written in black and white in his word, but sometimes we know, don't. The Holy Spirit is our prayer partner, our helper in that. Jesus referred to him as our helper. <clears throat> it also says that why do we need to hope for things that we already see? Why would we need to pray for something we already have? But it says, but if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance, with patience. You know, how many times do we see the words faith and patience stuck together in the New Testament? It's all over. That we would like when we pray to get, you know, instant answers. Sometimes, on occasions, that does happen. But many times it doesn't. And so, our faith is going to be tested as... We've read many times in the New Testament. Our faith will be tested. <clears throat> we finish that passage with, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called to, according to His purpose. To those who are in Christ, it's all going to work out for the good. So we can lay aside our 
anxiety. We can lay aside our stress. We can lay aside all of our fears and our <clears throat> trepidations, all our discouragements and our depressions and everything else. We can lay them aside. Because if we are in Christ, through faith in Christ, if we are in Christ, we're walking with Him, you see everything that happens, the good, the bad, and the ugly, it all works together for good. And we begin to see things as God sees them, and not as we see them. <clears throat> One of my favorite hymns, we just sang it today, somebody called it out today. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. You know, that higher plane where we begin to see things the way God does. And not just look at everything through natural eyes. And as we see things as God does, we begin to see the will of God. And we begin to see the will of God for our life. And then there's the crossroads. Do we trust God enough to give our life to Him and let Him guide our life? As opposed to being our own guide and choosing our own will. And you see, this is where this is where we're tested. You know, Jesus was tested in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was arrested. And he prayed, but he said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And so he was willing to lay his own will aside for the will of the Father. Who in their own who in their right mind will want to get nails put in their hands and feet? And hung, hang on a cross for hours. And before that, take a beating. No one wants that in their own will. But you see, Jesus was willing to lay his own will aside. So he trusted the Father. We trust God with our life. Do we believe God is smarter than us? Do we believe the path that God has set in front of us, that straight and narrow path in front of us, is a better path? than the one we want to wiggle and weave for ourselves. And see, these are the challenges that are set before us. And these are the questions that we ask ourselves. Is God smarter than us? Does He have our best interests in mind within His will? Or is it all about Him? If it was all about Him, he wouldn't have given his life for us. He knows what he's doing. And he knows what's best for us. When I was a kid, there was a TV show called Father Knows Best. And I think of that here. Father does know best. He does know what's best for us. More than we do. And that's where humility comes in. You say, well, you know, I want to do this, I want to do that. You hear what I'm saying, that I word? But if we're living for Jesus, it's not about what we want. We're living for Him. And in living for Him, we trust that it's also the best path for us to. That He knows how our life will be most fulfilled, completely fulfilled. And 
complete. And at rest. And at peace. And to have that inner satisfaction and peace. And to have that river of living water flowing through us that Jesus talked about. To have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, guiding and directing and comforting us. And giving us the peace of God that passes all understanding. And the next place we want to look at is in Philippians chapter 2. We touched on this a little bit, what I was just saying. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 2, verses 2 to 15. <clears throat> Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and becoming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to both will and do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. This all starts out talking about being of the same love, being to together and being of one mind. And we don't see that very much in Christendom, do we? We see a lot of division within Christendom, not a lot of like-mindedness. So what's the problem? Why is one person... Why is... Some in Christendom this way, that way, and the other way, and all the way around, the merry-go-round goes. Why is that? Because it goes a little further. In verse 5 it says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. This is where the real problem is in Christendom. 
Paul says in Corinthians that we have the mind of Christ. But are we allowing that mind of Christ to be the mind in us? Are we like-minded with Christ? Are we listening to Him, to His words? Are we following and, and embracing His mindset? Do you see His mindset? It says He didn't do anything out of selfish ambition or conceitedness or pride. He put others before himself. He says, let each of he said he consider others, esteemed others better than himself. Put others before himself. That's the mind of Christ. Uh-oh. Selfish ambition, pride, conceit. Me first. You see how easily we can ask and pray with wrong motives. And have a lot of division among ourselves and not have the same mind because we're not all embracing the mind of Christ of putting others before ourselves of laying down that was the mind of Jesus that's why he came down from heaven he put us before himself he could have just stayed up there comfortable, safe no nails in the hands in the feet no hanging on a cross no getting spit at and beaten. Forty lashes, none of that. Not made fun of while he's hanging on the cross. Not thirsting and in pain while he's hanging on the cross. But because he put us before himself, he didn't have to redeem himself. He didn't have to rescue and save himself. He did it to save us. And that's the mind of Jesus. The consideration of others ahead of ourselves. He took on the form of a servant. He humbled himself. Humility. Before God and before man. And took on the form of a servant. And look what they did to that servant. But he was serving us. That is the mind of Jesus. And if we have the mind of Jesus, if we all have the mind of Jesus, we'll all be of the same mind. That's how unity comes amongst believers. Having the mind of Jesus. That's where fellowship comes from. So in one place it says that our fellowship is in the Holy Spirit. Of course. We're listening to the Holy Spirit. That's where our interconnection comes from. We have the mind of Christ. He humbled himself and became obedient. Even to the point of death on the cross. He laid down his life for us. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. He called us to lay down our lives for each other. To give ourselves for each other. says that God is at work in us to do, we read here in verse 13, for God is at work in us both to will and to do His good pleasure. And you see, if we're asking amiss and not receiving anything, there's delays. A lot of times it's the person in the mirror. 
We're fighting against what God is at work doing in us. We're fighting His will. We're still embracing our own will. We're not at that point of humility. Do everything without arguing and complaining. Contention and strife. Grumbling. Grumbling against God, grumbling against each other. Do everything without that. Isn't it interesting that when we talk about that in these passages, it always comes around to this arguing and fighting. (laughs) It was in the book of James, it's here too. It's because when we have no faith in God, we not have hope in Him, we begin to, and we're holding on to our own will, we begin fighting our own wills against one another. I want it this way, you want it that way. And not will, willing to commit these things to the Lord. Uh, in Luke chapter 11, this is one we've talked about before, but I think it is appropriate here today, and what we're talking about. In verse 1, It says, Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples, John the Baptist referring to. Do that for us too, teach us to pray. They saw their own need to learn how to pray in an effective way. In the book of James, it says, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man produces much. I guess they saw that their prayer wasn't effective. It wasn't producing much. Maybe they didn't see producing anything. Maybe they even gave up praying because they, they, they were at this dead end where it just wasn't doing any good. What use is it to pray? They saw Jesus praying. They saw Jesus getting answers to prayer. They saw the power of God present with Jesus. They said, Lord, we want that too. Teach us to pray. We want to pray in a way that's effective. And he gives us the Our Father. And in the middle of it, he says, towards the end of verse 2, he says, Your kingdom will come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Again, the will of God, not our own will. And then he says this in verse 5, as we read from verses 5 to um, 12. And he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend, and go to him at midnight, and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come over to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will, give answer, he will answer from within and say, 
Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Okay. And in this passage, he talks about the word persistence or boldness. King James says importunity. It means being bold. So with everything we talked about, Jesus said, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But then he gives a parable concerning boldness. Being bold in our prayers. Come boldly. In the book of Hebrews it says, uh, Since we have such a great high priest in the heaven, let us, speaking of Christ, let us come boldly before the throne of grace, that we might receive mercy and help for our time of need. This boldness. You know, praying according to the will of God does not mean being sheepish. Does not mean being, um, you know, doubtful. Maybe God will. Maybe God won't. The Bible says if we pray, if we pray according to the will of God, we know that He hears us, and we know that if we He we He hears us, we have the petitions. That we ask of him. So in this case here, the man comes to his friend. He says, boldly, and you know, with with the hour of the day, is it? It says, it comes at midnight. Has anybody ever come to you at midnight and asked for any bread? It's because of his boldness that he gives it to him. And his friend, this guy is confident his friend will help him. And that's why he asks boldly. I don't have anything accepted for these people. And he knows that his friend has what he needs. What a friend we have in Jesus, is what to him says. We do have a friend who gave his life for us. It says there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Jesus said, I have called you my friends. How do we get into this place? The first thing we need to do is become adopted. Bible says we are adopted by God through faith in Jesus to become the children of God through the spirit of adoption. And when we become his children through faith in his son, then the door is open to all the promises of God that are yes in Christ. When we are in Christ, we are adopted to become we become his children.
and all the privileges of his children are opened up to us. And so we can be bold. We don't have to be sheepish and retiring. Maybe God will, maybe he won't. It comes like playing the lottery. Maybe we'll hit, maybe we won't. It's none of that. It's not like a game of chance. None of that. God has a very definite plan about to help us. It's not our way. Sometimes it doesn't even seem sensible to us because it's not about our senses. It's about a supernatural God who is not like us. God is not a man. He's not like us. And the last one is in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. Then he spoke a parable to them, that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Get justice for me and my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she wear me, she weary me. Then, he, then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall not God avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? <clears throat> the reason for this parable that he gives is explained in verse 1 that he gave a parable that we should pray always and not give up. So everything we read in this parable is about that. We should not lose heart. We should not give up. And then he gives the story, this parable, about this judge. And he's certainly not a good guy. Bad guy. He's a bad judge and he's a bad guy. He doesn't care about this woman at all. He doesn't fear God. So he's a corrupt man. And the only reason... This woman keeps on coming, this widow, she needs help. She needs a judgment in her favor. It doesn't say what it is, but she needs help. And so she keeps on pleading with this judge. And this bad guy finally says, this woman's wearing me out. I better do what she does because she's driving me crazy. You keep on coming to me and everything. You kind of get the drift of the story, you know? You know, she's bothering Just do whatever she wants. And stop bothering me. Now this is the worst possible judge you can think about, you know, that Jesus is comparing. It's the opposite end of who God is. God loves us enough to give us his son to rescue us, to send his son. It's the complete opposite. <clears throat> he said, listen to what an unjust judge would do if you just continually come to him. Now, Father of, of justice and judgment and the, the God of love, you come to him. We don't always understand everything. 
but he says to keep coming. And he will help us in his time. He says, Shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? Won't he help us? He says we're crying out day and night. kind of tells us about the fervency of prayer. You know, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man produces much. Crying out day and night. He says, why does he just do it? Though he bears long with them. Well, why is he making them wait, bearing long with them? There's his will. There's his way. And remember, he's at work in us to change us. So it's not just about getting our answers to prayer. God is in the process of making us who he wants us to be. He's at work. God is at work in us to do and to will of his good pleasure. To will and to do of his pleasure. Not our pleasure, his pleasure. So it's going to take time. His time. Though he bears long with them, but he will help them speedily. Well, which is it? It says he bears along with them and he's going to help them speedily. It sounds like it's contradicting itself right there. When his time comes, it can strike like lightning. You know, God is, God's power is not hindered by anything. If he wants it to happen fast, it's going to happen fast. And when he says the word, it'll be done. Just like he said, let there be light, and it was. Just, you know, happened speedily. His creation happened speedily. Scientists used to say that the universe was created over millions of years. That's what I heard when I was a little kid. Then all of a sudden, this group of scientists said, oh, wait a minute. We don't think that's the way it happened at all. It happened suddenly. Call it the Big Bang Theory. There's this explosion, all of a sudden everything happened. We're getting closer, getting closer to the six days of creation. God said it and it happened speedily. When God says something, it can happen speedily, like a thunderbolt. But he finishes up by a challenge and a question to each of us. That we should look in the mirror and ask ourselves. When he returns, will, we have, will there be faith? There will be faith on earth. Will we? He said, "Well, there's a, lot, a lot of people are professing faith in Jesus. We're not talking about profession. We're talking about this. We're not giving up. And we're not losing heart. That we don't have a prayerless spirit. That we're not cons- that we're praying according to our own will instead of the will of God. Delight yourself." in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of our heart, of your heart. You see, as we follow the Lord, our desires begin to change. This transformation happens in us, and we have a new perspective. This is where I'm going to stop, and let your brothers comment on that, or any other thoughts you have on anything else.